Exodus chapter 17, verse number 1. We'll start reading right there. Number 1, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their, journeying, after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses, and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And Moses, or I'm sorry, and the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand. And go, and behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And uh, what, what my title is today may not seem like it has anything to do with the scripture, but hopefully we will get back to, uh, we'll, we'll put, we'll, we'll, tie all this together, but I want to talk to you tonight about what God does with broken things. What God does with broken things. Has anybody here ever been broken? Anybody ever felt like you have flaws, weaknesses? Do you have insecurities, insufficiencies? I want to talk to you about what God does with broken things. Now just put out of your mind, because I know most of you are thinking he fixes them. That's not the answer. But we're going to talk about what God does with broken things. Will you put your Bibles, your phones, your iPads to the side? You lift your hands and ask the Lord to talk to you tonight. Let the holy anointing of God flow. We lift your voice and pray right now. Father, we love you so much. Thank you, Lord. For your word, it is awesome. It is mighty. There is nothing that compares to your word. I pray right now that you will loose your word to flow in this place. Allow me to be a conduit of your word. Let me speak nothing of my own idea or my own accord, but let everything be perfectly ordered from your throne, O oh God. Speak to us the things that we need to hear and make us into what we need to be. I pray, God, that you will give us a special dispensation of faith right now. Let the word be mixed with faith that it may be profitable in our lives, Almighty God. Let it be done even now, and we will thank you in Jesus' name. Now, now, if you are not satisfied with what God has done so far in your life, but you believe He's going to do something better, I want you to clap your hands unto the Lord. And now add with that a shout unto God with a voice of triumph. God, I love you. God, I thank you. God, I'm so thankful that we are always triumphant, that we're always victorious through you who loved us. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated. Uh, tonight, I, uh, I, I'm not going to build a runway, I'm just going to take off tonight. I was in here praying a few days ago, I don't know what day it was, um, 
But I was in here praying, and, and uh, I began to, to think about some things. And, and, and as I was praying, this scripture came to my mind about, uh, it's, it's Zechariah 4 and verse number 10. It says, For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. Uh, he says, Who has despised the day of small things? Somebody say, Day of small things. Uh, I, I was... Uh, well, I, I might just totally derail here, but I was, uh, I was traveling last week or the week before last with my girlfriend. You know her as my wife. Uh, we, uh, we, we made it uh, all the way to Dallas, Texas and back in one piece, and we were blessed of the Lord to be able to do that, go to a men's meeting. I got to hold her hand for two time zones, and so that was cool. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I could have flown and it would have probably been cheaper and it definitely would have been faster, but there's a lot of country out there that I wanted to see, you know, I hadn't put my eyeballs on yet. And, uh, as we traveled, we stopped in a, in a little town in, in Arkansas, I think it was in Arkansas. Anyway, there's a very, what we would consider a very big apostolic church. And uh, I, I, quite frankly, I just wanted to stop and see it and lay my eyeballs on it myself. And so uh, <clears throat> I don't know how you all are when you go into other churches, but I go into scout and snoop mode. <laughs> okay? So, so we, they, they, this, this church has its own bookstore. The bookstore is open every day. And so that was my excuse to go in the building. I didn't much care about going to the bookstore, although I did buy a half a dozen books. But I did not care about, I wanted to see the inside of this church building. And so it's locked up and we got to ring the doorbell and they unlock it and they let us in. And, and I start looking around and Brother Tim, I'm telling you what, is massive. This building would fit in the foyer. It's just, it's, it's, it's huge. Ask Sister Andy, she's got pictures. I took a picture of her out there in front of it, and she's about that tall, and, the, and, the, and it's great big like that. And, uh, and, I, and I saw that building, and I walked in there, and, 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 and it, it, was, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. But then, I, I, I got to, I don't know what, what emotion this is, except maybe perturbed. Is perturbed an emotion? I looked at that building and I, and I saw, I, I thought, you know what, I've been in a building like this before. And it was, uh, well, I won't get into what that building was, but it was built for commercial reasons. Okay, it was built on, on, uh, on the idea of making money. It was for profit, y'all know what I mean? It was a business. Another building similar to that, but it was a business. And I got this spirit of annoyance on me because there's no reason that Things should be built for the glory of this world that's greater than the things that are built for the glory of God. Let me, let me back up. Let me, let me look at it at a different direction. I was uh, looking up a church the other day. I don't even remember what state it was in, but I was trying to figure out where it was. And, and man, you can get on Google Earth and find out anything, Brother Tommy. It's amazing. You want to see what a house looks like? We, we, if we're going to go on vacation, I'll find the house before we rent it, and I will go to Street View on Google Earth, and I'll see what the thing looks like before we get there. Okay? So it's nifty. And I was looking up this, this apostolic church, and honestly, I don't even remember what town that this church is in, but it might have been one we were interested in going to. And I looked at it, and it was this... Please don't be offended, and for all the internet folks, please don't be offended by me using this word, but it was this little dinky building. Okay, y'all calm down. 
Y'all okay? Okay. All right. But it, it, it was. It was. And, I, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm purposely not naming where that was because I don't want to make anybody feel bad. That's fine. Because Zechariah, uh, God talks to Zechariah and he talks about that there are people who despise the day of small things. I thank God that there was a day of small things for Glen Ferris Apostolic Church. I thank God that you can find those pictures somewhere of a little schoolhouse back here by the railroad tracks that nobody thought would be uh, anything other than a heap of rubble and termite fodder. I thank God that there is a man of God who saw a vision and he saw and he came in the day of small things planted a church, and, and we have grown to what Glen Ferris Apostolic Church is now. And I'm, I'm not, I don't want to get stuck on us as a local congregation. I want to talk about uh, the church in general. There was a day of small things, and we should be glad for what God did in the day of small things. But I feel in the Holy Ghost to declare this, that today is not the day of small things. The day of small things is behind us. We are in the latter outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We are in the last days. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7 and 8, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, saith the Lord. So whatever has happened in the past, they were small things, and I'm glad that they happened, but today is not the day of small things. So for a moment, I would like to preach to you that it is time for us to say goodbye to small expectations. It's time for us to have greater expectations than we've ever had. It's time to have greater expectations of revival, greater expectation of answered prayer, greater expectations of the church, and a greater expectation of God, and a greater level of expectation for our own lives. And we need to divorce ourselves from small expectations. We need to believe that in these last days, God is not going to do small things. He's going to do great things. He is going to blow our mind. And so we need to say goodbye to the day of small things. Today is a day of great things. It's a day of big expectations. You need to have big expectations for yourself. It's time for us to have big expectations of yourself. Elbow somebody and say, It's, now don't hurt nobody over there. Just wake them up. It is time, to elbow somebody, tell them it is time to have big expectations of yourself. You ain't throwing an elbow yet. Go ahead, throw an elbow. Hit her a little bit there, Brother Jonathan. That's it, yeah. It is time for us to have big expectations of ourselves. Let me tell you what I mean. I don't mean that, uh, I'm going to be something great. That's, that's not what I mean at all. I mean, it's time to say, I am going to be sold out for God. My devotion is not going to be a small day devotion. My devotion to God is going to be a big deal. I'm going to have big devotion. I, the degree of my devotion, which I once thought was impossible, is what I am going to do in this day. Some of you in the past have struggled with faithfulness. Your faithfulness was small. But the day of small things is behind us. 
If you've been a part-time Christian, then put those days behind you. If you've been small in your financial devotion to the kingdom, those days are behind you. If you've been lukewarm in your prayer life, those days are gone. If you, uh, the days where you could go to work and revel in the same filthy conversation as your co-workers, those days are behind you. It's not the day to be a small it's not the day to be a small lover of God. It's not the day to blend in with this world. It's a day of great things. I do not want to be small in my devotion. I don't want to be small in my prayers. I don't want to be small in my faith. It's a day of great things. The day of small things in our lives when we first come to God. And I, I understand that we have a maturation process. And I, I, I personally look back on whenever I first came to God. And I, I thank God that Brother Chrisman, my, my pastor, that he was patient with me. Because I had all kinds of stuff wrong with me. Still do. When you first come to God... Your devotion, your consecration, your, 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 your level of, 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 of just absolutely sold outness to God. It can be small in the beginning, but those are the days of small things. We need to put that behind us and say everything in my life has to revolve around God. Everything that I do has to revolve around His kingdom. It's not the day for small devotion. It's not the day for small consecration. It's a day of great things. It's not the day of small things. We need a paradigm shift. We need to see the world, the church, ourselves, and even God through a different lens than we have ever seen before. It's time to pray big prayers with big expectations. It's time to pray big prayers with big expectations. It is time for us to abandon a poverty mentality that we'll just get by on a little tiny handout from God and we'll barely make it through. I don't believe that garbage for a moment. I believe He wants to give us the kingdom. Fear not, dear children, for it's the, it's the will of the Father to give you the kingdom. I don't believe that we're just supposed to barely exist, barely survive, barely make We're supposed to just uh, limp across the finish line to the rapture. I believe we are going to see the greatest miracles that have ever been seen on planet Earth. We are going to see... And, and lest you misunderstand what I said a few minutes ago, I don't necessarily think we're going to have the biggest, most ornate, most, most spectacular buildings, but we ought to have the greatest crowds of anything that is going on. If there's 100,000 at the Rose Bowl for a ball game, there ought to be 120,000 because there's going to be 20 on the field for a crusade. I believe in this last day it is going to happen. We need to get out of our mind the day of small things. We need to pray big prayers. It is time. I just Let me just read some things out of my notes to you. It is time to expect that when we pray for wayward children of God, that is backsliders, it's time that we expect that they feel the pull of the Spirit every time we pray. Brother, Brother Frankie's not here tonight. He, uh, he, he gets up early on Wednesday morning, I think, so. He struggles making it to church on Wednesday night, but they've been very faithful on Sunday. He came to me a couple Sundays ago, and he said, Pastor, I wrestled with God for a year before I came back. What does that tell? Man, he wrestled with God for a year. What's that tell? What does that tell me? That tells me we prayed, and God was moving. 
We prayed and God was moving. We didn't see the result until they came up here to an altar and they prayed back through the Holy Ghost. We didn't see the result until that day, but they were feeling it when we prayed. I think we ought to stand to our feet right now. I think you ought to just name somebody as you pray. God, send an angel to their house right now. Shake him, oh God. Send that same angel that you sent to Elijah to shake him. Send him. Send an angel to him. Shake him, oh God. Let him remember what it was like to be in your presence. Let him remember the joy of the Holy Ghost. Let him remember what it was like to worship you in spirit and in truth. Let him remember, oh God. And if you're brave enough and you really mean it, why don't you pray this prayer? God, whatever it takes for them to come to you and be saved, let it be done. Whatever you've got to do in their life, however you've got to humble them, whatever you've got to do, God, I want them to be saved. It's time to expect that every time we pray, people feel our prayers. They may not know what it is. We may not understand everything that goes on, but God is working when you pray. Somebody shout amen. It's time to expect that when you ask your neighbor or your co-worker to teach them a Bible study, it's time to expect that they're going to say yes. It's time to expect that you are going to ask them, and it's time to expect that they will say yes. It's time to expect that what you're teaching is what they've been looking for, and that they will repent, that they'll be baptized, that they'll receive the Holy Ghost, and that they'll bring their family. It's time to expect that what we have is what the world wants. But we say... I'm not qualified, I can't do that, I'm not good at that, I don't have it all together. We overrate having it all together. You've got to tell somebody that. Having it all together is overrated. If you wait until you have it all together, Brother Tommy, when are you going to start? Never. Having it all together is overrated. Being polished and perfect is overrated. Look who God uses. It's like we never even read the Bible. And it cracks me up, Brother Tommy. First miracle of the New Testament church, Peter and John. That's who God chose to use for the first miracle of the apostolic church, the New Testament church. They're going to find this lame man. He's been laying here, I don't know, what was it, 38 years, 39 years. He's been asking an alms. And God sent, it says, and Peter and John were on their way to prayer, on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer. Let's dissect Peter and John for just a moment. I don't know about old John. He refers to himself as the apostle that Jesus loved. Now, y'all know some of y'all would be just looking at him like, who do you think you are, buddy? I mean, look at him. He, I'm the, 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 the one that Jesus loved. He, he's always there around. I mean, he's like stuck to Jesus. They're at the, uh, uh, the, the, what we call the Last Supper. They're there at the Passover before Jesus' crucifixion. And they're, they're there at the table and they're reclined at the table. And, and John's over here like just leaning on Jesus. Like, man, buddy, he's a little clingy. I don't know if he's got... I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's got security issues. I don't know. I don't know what John's problem is. He's just, you know, and then you got Peter. Man, he's not a good swordsman. Every time he opened his mouth, his foot was close to follow. He's got a bad temper. He's foul mouthed, and he's ignorant. And the Bible says, and Peter and John were on their way to prayer. 
On their way to the temple, they had our prayer. Silver and gold have an but such as I have. They were broke too. Don't wait till you got enough money to live for God or work for God. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have. There's a lot of things I don't have. But here's what I do have. I've got the name of Jesus. You come to me with a shield and a spear and a sword. But I come to you in the name of the Lord. I want to tell somebody today, if you've got the name, if you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got enough to do something for God. Having it all together is overrated. Moses was a murderer and a stutterer. God said, I think I'll make you an ambassador. The Apostle Paul has this testimony, 2 Corinthians 10.10, My bodily presence is weak and speech contemptible. It's understood or it's, it's at least... Uh, it's at least conjectured that the Apostle Paul had a severe eye problem, which is why uh, when you read, I think it's Colossians, it says that, that he wrote in large letters. Usually somebody wrote for him, but there were places where he signed with his own hand, and it says it was with large letters. And there's another place where he says, I know you love me and so much that you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. The Apostle Paul probably had some type of macular degeneration or a serious eye problem. But God said, you know what, I think I'll use you. Having it all together is overrated. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have... If you can put that on the screen, that'd be excellent. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? Let's break this down for just a second. We have this treasure. He's talking about the Holy Ghost. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. He likens this body to a clay pot. Just... Let's do this again. Elbow your neighbor. Tell him you got a treasure in a flower pot. God chose to give you a body that was easily destroyed. You are seven minutes of oxygen away from death. He chose to give Someone who is easily tempted, has hang-ups, has flaws, has a checkered past. He chose to put the most precious thing that has ever touched planet Earth in that. You have treasure in a flower pot. Why did God do that? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. There's a revelation of contrast. You're not much. <laughs> when they cremate you, there's not going to be much left. You're going to have a couple of handfuls of dust. But he chose to put the most precious thing ever in you and in you and in you. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. He goes on, he says, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. 
the Passion Translation says, are we okay? Are we all right? The Passion Translation says this, though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. At times we don't know what to do. Anybody ever been there? At times we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. We are, pu- we are persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. We may be knocked down, but not out. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are, in our humanity, weak, vulnerable, and fallible. We are like, this is what the Passion Translation says about 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within so that the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's and not ours. But tell me, it looks like you got a new pair of glasses on back there, sir. They look sharp. But when you come and give somebody a word from God, even with those new glasses, they're not going to look at you and say, man, that guy, it must be because he is perfect and he's got everything together that God speaks through him. They just know it's God. Brother Billy Cole, how many ever heard him preach, even on tape or something? He had this, he would, if you haven't, Google it. Get on YouTube. Billy Cole preaching. He would laugh. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Those of you who have heard, he would, he would just be in the middle of his message and he would start this. Cole, this is not derogatory. It was a goofy sounding laugh. He would just laugh. Am I, am I right, brother, brother Tim? He would just laugh. And he said, that has been one of the most important things in my ministry because then when God does the miraculous... They know it wasn't me. That it was God. So let's talk about Moses and the thirsty folks for a minute. So in Exodus chapter 17, they have, they have escaped Pharaoh. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've, uh, they've, they've gone to uh, the place of, of Mara where the waters were bitter. And Moses throws a stick in and made the water sweet and they could drink those. And... And they went to a place where they were hungry and they complained, we're going to starve out here. And so God gives them manna. Now in Exodus 17, I guess they needed something to wash down the manna with. And they start to complain about how thirsty they are and we're going to die out here and they're going to stone Moses for dragging them out there. And God talks to Moses. He says, take your staff, go over there to the rock at Horeb and I'll go with you and I will stand on that rock and, and you smite that rock with, your, with the staff and we'll get some water out of that thing. And so that's exactly what happened. It's retold in numerous places in Scripture, but I'll just read you a couple verses. Psalm 78, verse 15 says, He claved the rocks in the wilderness, and He gave them drink as out of the great depths. Isaiah 48, 21 says, And they thirsted not when He led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He claved the rock also, and waters gushed out. Uh, I'll just read it to you. Can you, can you, oh, this, that picture's up there. It says in the New International Reader's Version, they didn't get thirsty when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow out of the rock for them. He broke the rock open and water came out of it. Here's what I want you to hear tonight. Isn't that a cool rock? Y'all see, can y'all see that? 
Y'all tell what's, what's going on there? I don't know if they can throw the picture up there without the words on it, so it's a little easier to see. If you can do that, Zoe, that'd be great. If you can't, that's all right, too. But this is an actual, this is what they believe, historians believe. This is actually the rock from Exodus 17. It's in, in the desert there. They believe that's the rock that Moses went to and that God stood over. And Moses smote that rock. And you can see, it's split. Which is what the Bible says happens. They said, the, the Bible says that it clave open. Or he broke the rock open and water came out of it. If you don't get anything else out of tonight, I want you to get this. God flows out of broken places. He flows out of the fractures and the weaknesses of our lives. What we think, whether it's in our past or it's in our present, what we think is a curse or a weakness or it's, it's, it's something I'm, I'm trying to overcome, it's something I don't like about myself, God flows out of our brokenness. Your insufficiency is where God can be glorified. I'm not talking about God's going to bless because you sin. I'm talking about the fact that we are fallible. We are not perfect our insufficiency is where God can be glorified. It's our weakness where He can work. It's your brokenness that God can flow out of and give strength to others. God will use you specifically because you are flawed so that He can get the glory. See, we're not going to shout about this right now because we want to talk about we've overcome everything. You'll never overcome your flesh. You'll always have it. Moses... You're not going to practice being my ambassador good enough that you're going to sound like one. You're always going to have that weakness, Moses. But you know what part of you I'm going to use? I'm going to use your speech to set people free. The Apostle Paul was brilliant, says he said at the feet of Gamaliel. He was, he was a student of the, of the Word. He, he, could, he could debate with the Jews, and he, he understood the Old Testament Scripture like maybe nobody else in his day. And God made him the apostle to the Gentiles, where all of that knowledge was of no use whatsoever. But he took Peter, who was ignorant and unlearned. I think I used that word on Sunday, didn't I? Ignorant. He says, you know what, I think I'll send you to those educated Jews. Why did he do that? Specifically because he wanted God to get the glory and not Paul's eloquence before them to get the glory. And we think we need to have everything together before we can teach a Bible study before we can offer to pray for somebody at work, before we can just reach out and do something for us. We think we have to have everything together, and we can never have everything together. We, we see this story. I mean, we preach about this story three times every Sunday. But Saul, Saul, S-U-A-L, Saul, S-A-W, Goliath, come out into the middle of that valley every day for 40 days 
Does anybody know the physical description of King Saul? I heard it. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was the biggest guy in Israel. I mean, there's a giant down there. Who are you going to send to fight him? The biggest guy in the camp, right? Isn't that who you'd send? Tommy, that's who I'd send. I'm not sending me. But God wouldn't even send a soldier. He waited for a kid to show up and said, you know what, I think I can use that guy. Why? So that God would get the glory. And I think sometimes we give David too much glory. I'm thankful that he was willing, but it was God that did it. And if we'll understand that we need to stop making David a hero and make God the hero of every story, and he can be the hero of my story, and it's not because of my eloquence, it's not because of what I can do, it's because I've got God in this earthen vessel. That he can use you at your workplace, and he can use you as you talk to your neighbor. All right. Everybody okay? Can I tell you a Bible story? Tell somebody, God flows out of brokenness. He does not flow out of polished perfection. It seems to me that he will intentionally not use us in our natural strengths. I love the story of Gideon. Judges chapter 6 verse number 11. There came an angel of the Lord, sat under an oak tree, which was at Orpha, that pertained to Joash, the, Ab- the Abezerite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. In, in the King James, it says that he threshed wheat by the wine press. Basically, every other translation says that he threshed wheat in the wine press. Wine press was a... Uh, imagine an old-timey looking well, but there. And they would fill it with grapes, and they'd stomp the grapes down. So... Gideon's inside this thing, hiding from the Midianites. Just picture this guy for a minute. He's down inside here. He's dug down, hiding from the Midianites, threshing wheat. Yeah, y'all, y'all got the picture? He's like... And he goes back to threshing wheat, make sure nobody's around. And the angel shows up. What's the next verse? You got it there? The angel shows up and says, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. That could be a meme all by itself. You know, if this was Gideon in the 21st century. It's like, who me? Thou mighty man of valor. Yeah, you. Hiding down there in the bottom of that wine press. You, mighty man of valor. And as we are wont to do, Gideon said unto him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why is all this stuff going wrong? Where are all the miracles which the Father said? Didn't the Lord bring, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? And now he's forsaken us, delivered us in the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I'm the least of my father's house. I, I can't fund this, this thing. I don't, I don't, I don't have any... I don't have anything to, to speak of here. And the Lord said, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites at one, as one man. Gideon says, I'm nothing and a nobody. 
My family has no influence. We're not famous and we're not special. And God says, that's not what qualifies you. Here's what qualifies you. I sent you. Go in this thy might. Have not I sent you. We are like Gideon sometimes, and we want to make sure that we have the right resources, that we have everything in order so that God can do something in our lives. But God says, here's what qualifies you. I sent you. Where's Brother Caleb at? You just won't come up here and preach that message again. What's holding you back? If we're like Moses and we're like Gideon, we will look around at ourselves and at our circumstance and say, I can't do what God wants me to do because I'm not properly resourced to do so. And God says, I am that I am and I sent you. And you have overcomplicated things. I don't know how many times I've said this, but just add one more to that list. If you have been born again of the water and of the Spirit, you can tell someone else they need to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. You don't have to be able to to theologically... discern and and explain everything you don't have to have a PhD from Urshan Graduate School of Theology you just need to be able to point them to Acts 2.38 and say "Uh, you should do this too what would it hurt say it again brother Caleb oh that was so weak do it again thank you and so, so the story of Gideon gets better I promise I got less than an hour left The story of Gideon gets even better. I mean, here he is hiding in the wine press and the angel shows up in his life. And then he he gathers an army. Things are going good. Says Gideon, this is chapter 7, verse number 1. Gideon uh, and all the people that were with him rose up early. They they pitched beside the well of Herod so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them and by the hill of Morah in the valley. And so here's the Midianites. They're, They're in the valley and on the hillside. This massive army of Midianites. Verse number 2 says, The Lord said to Gideon, So Gideon had amassed an army. Okay? What, you got to see this. you got to see this. Gideon had amassed an army of 32,000 men. And the Lord gets Gideon up one morning and says, um, The people that are with thee are too many for me. Too many for who? They are too many for me, God says. Because if you have a great army, Gideon, you might get credit for this. But I'm going to orchestrate this in such a way that nobody's going to get glory but me. And if we want to arrange things in our lives so that we're polished and we've got everything together so that I can efficiently and effectively and I, and, and I, can, I can minister to somebody and I'll look like I got it all together, then it's me trying to have it all together and it's me trying to do it on my own flesh instead of saying, God, I need you to flow through my insufficiencies. And so... He starts with 32,000. God says, hey, that's too many, man. And he says, hey, tell everybody that's scared, go on home. And 22,000 of them went home. Now, if you were Gideon, how would that make you feel? 
I was about to go into battle and two-thirds of my army was afraid to fight. I'm kind of glad they went home. I'm kind of glad I know where I stand now. 22,000 of them go home. God comes to Gideon again. He says, nah, I think that's still too much. Tell them to go down to the water. Tell them to go down to that brook. Grab them a little drink. And I don't know how Gideon did this census because this is amazing. I, I, I'm trying to figure this out in my mind how all this went. But he says, y'all go down there and get you something to drink. And 10,000 men go to the creek. And 9,700 of them bow down and start sucking And 300 of them kneel down and they start pulling some water up out and they lap it out of their hands. And Gideon says, and God says to Gideon, uh, those 300, they'll do. So we've got the Midianites who are like a, this huge host and Gideon's got 300 people and God says, that's enough for me. In fact, Gideon, I tell you what, let's, uh, let's, let's defy all military conventions and take our far inferior force and divide them into three pieces. Put a hundred over there, a hundred over there, and a hundred with you. And the hundred go with Gideon and they go in the night. And I, I thought about, I thought, thought about turning off all the lights in here, but but, but Zeke will be scared of the dark, so we won't do that. he got Caleb beside him. He's a pretty big guy. He might be okay. So they, the, the hundred, they, they go out here in the dark. And in, in one hand, they have a trumpet or a ram's horn. In the other hand, they have a torch with a flower pot on top. Or a water pitcher or something. They've got this vessel on top. And they sneak up in the dark to the host of the Midianites. This is suspenseful, Haley. Are you okay? This is suspenseful. They sneak up in the dark. Sorry, little teacher broke out on me there. Saw you talking in class. So they sneak up in the dark, ram's horn in one hand. But when it came to the right time, God said, Gideon, you shout the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. And at that moment, I want you to break the vessels that are on the torch and blow on the trumpet. And when they did that, they broke the vessel and the light streamed and they lit up the, the camp around the Midianites and they blew on that trumpet and they shouted unto God. And when the midst of that brokenness, the enemy was terrified because the light came out of the brokenness. And if we're waiting for everything to be perfect, we will quench the light of God that otherwise could flow out of us. What we need to do tonight is stand to our feet and we need to admit, God, I am flawed. There are parts of me that are broken. 
I am not perfect. I know that you could fix my imperfections if you wanted to. But I accept that right now, I don't have everything. I, I don't have everything perfect in my life. And so, Lord, I invite you to flow out of my brokenness. I wish somebody would tell God, I'm tired of trying to be perfect before I do anything for you. I'm tired of trying to make sure that I, I got all my T's crossed and all my I's dotted before I ever offer somebody a Bible study. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I can't wait any longer to try to perfect me while you want to flow through me in my broken state. Because the fact is, there's people out there and they're thirsty. And what they really need is a brokenness for God to flow through and touch their lives. I am weak. I am broken. But I am willing for you to flow through me. Why don't we just find some place to pray tonight?